Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. In our apartment, there is a real working fireplace. As winter came on, I thought, well, maybe we could use it. Maybe we could get some firewood at the local store and uh, be all cozy. But Sonia, who if you don't know by now, is the smart one in this dynamic duo. She was more cautious. Sonia had questions. She had stipulations. She had concerns. My wife has a number of superhero names. One being, uh, we talked about this earlier, she is the noticer. She notices things. But she is also, she also has another superhero name. She is the researcher. Ooh, ah, very fancy, right? Before she makes any decision, she processes, she analyzes, she collects information, and she asks God for direction. And so in her research, she discovered that uh, when before you light a fire in your fireplace, there's some things you got to check out. For one thing, the, the chimney apparently has to be free from obstruction. And we should probably get someone to look it over like a chimney sweep uh, before we actually use it. Yes, professional chimney sweeps do actually exist. They are a real thing. And contrary to everything we may have learned in Mary Poppins, they do not all conform to the stereotype of having a strange Cockney accent and singing and dancing on the roof. Some of you will probably not get that, but that's okay. I'm, I'm dating myself here. And so before we could process whether to go through with this ordeal and to, to have someone come and look at it and make sure it's, uh, it's, everything's kosher, um, we had the problem resolved for us. The apartment complex, Powers That Be, sent us a letter saying that all the fireplaces are going to be converted into uh, fake ones where uh, you just have the, the lights and it looks like a fire, but it doesn't actually produce any heat. And this apparently was, uh, there was some safety concern with it. So my wife was, uh, was very smart um, to, uh, to, to think of this. So it looks really pretty, and, uh, but it doesn't produce any heat. And this is what we have now. So, so it looks really real, right? You can almost feel the warmth just looking at it, even though, you know, even if you were there, it, it, it wouldn't produce any heat. But that's, uh, I'm sure you're all feeling warm and cozy right now, right? Because it's that mental thing. Okay. Uh, so uh, it's nice because it's, uh, it has this look and feel, but without any of the real danger. And plus, you can change the color so you can uh, get different things. It has different uh, modes on it. This is a fire that is tame, right? Why is it tame? Because it's not real. But real fire is wild. Real fire is dangerous. I heard a story on This American Life about some folks whose job it is to try to stop 
the spread of fires in California. Here's a, a little snippet of the transcript, which focuses on uh, two guys that are working there, RJ and Corey. Quote, to fight those massive fires out west, there are these camps hidden from view. If you were driving by, you might not even know that they're there. One of the largest fires in California history, the Creek Fire, has a base camp for 700 people in the parking lot of a ski resort in Central California, just outside Fresno. So if you know where to go, the first thing that you see when you pull up to the camp is that there are these 20-somethings running back and forth with bright yellow fire hose, hundreds and hundreds of miles of it. Their job is to untangle miles of these hoses all day, every day. Hard work, low pay, miserable conditions, and more. That's the actual motto. The way this, the job works is this. Trucks come in from the fire line and dump huge piles of jumbled hoses. Five guys untangle them. And then with each hose, they take one end and they sprint across the parking lot. Each hose is 100 feet long and it's kind of a long way to go. They lay one, down one bright yellow hose next to another, next to another, until the whole parking lot is blanketed with tidy yellow hose. Next step in the process, they wind the hoses up in coils, put them on pallets, wrap them in plastic wrap, and send them to be cleaned. After that, the hoses go out to the fire line again, then back to the hose rolling crews, then back to the place where they're cleaned over and over, week after week after week, which is life at a fire camp. They have the same day over and over and over and over until the fire is out. The Creek Fire had been going on for nearly two months when this story came out. It burned more than 350,000 acres. It's over 500 square miles. Putting out a fire that large is a mammoth task. The base camp was like a mini city with a makeshift laundromat, a cafeteria, a mechanic shop, sleep trailers with triple bunk beds. Most people at the camp work 16-hour days, and they sleep right on the asphalt, right next to where they work in tents that they've pitched. They sleep in their uniforms so they can squeeze in a few extra minutes of rest each morning. But the thing is that they love their jobs, despite the repetitiveness and exhaustion. Before this, RJ worked in retail and at a car wash. Corey had an office job coding. Now it feels like they're part of something important. They're team captains for their crew and they have this can-do attitude. It's actually kind of the culture at this camp. With the fire season running longer than ever, it's seven or eight months out of the year now. And then there's this entire ecosystem of people like RJ and Corey who swoop in and live in fire camps for months all over the West, unquote. You see fire, is dangerous, it's unpredictable, but it can be good, right? Purifying, it can bring warmth, it can enable us to cook and to eat things. Fire is the central element of this week's very dramatic Parsha. For context, we have come out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. We have received the Torah. We have been instructed to build what? the tabernacle, so that God can dwell among his people. And with the tabernacle complete, we arrive at the book of Leviticus, which is the holiness code in the first part. It, of course, you know, Leviticus is everyone's favorite book, right? We just love to read that. Yeah, 
but it's good. It's actually very important for understanding holiness and purity and the sacrificial system. In this week's Parsha, uh, after the code, we actually pick up on the action part of the story. So what just happened in Exodus, the end of Exodus, is the tabernacle is built. It has just been completed. And in this Parsha, we pick that story up and the tabernacle is now dedicated and the Lord shows up. It's quite dramatic. And Aaron and his sons begin their priestly ministry. So here's the beginning of the Parsha in Leviticus 9. And notice the motif of fire and burning and smoke that runs throughout the, the narrative here. So let's take a look. Now it happened on the eighth day. There's that eighth day that I mentioned, Shemini, right? That Moses called Aaron, his sons, and the elders of Israel. Then he said to Aaron, take a calf from the, from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before Adonai. You are to speak to the children of Israel, saying, take a male goat for a sin offering, along with a calf and a lamb, both yearlings without blemish, for a burnt offering, plus a bull and a ram for fellowship offerings, to sacrifice before Adonai, along with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, Adonai appears to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tent of meeting, and the entire congregation drew near and stood before Adonai. But the fat, the kidneys, and the cover from the liver of the sin offering, he burned up as smoke on the altar. Can you picture this? As Adonai had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned in a fire outside the camp. Aaron slaughtered the burnt offering. Then his sons presented the blood to him, and he splashed it around the altar. They handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece along with the head, and he burned them up as smoke upon the altar. He washed the innards and the legs, and he offered them in smoke upon the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's gift, took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, slaughtered it, and offered it for sin, just like the first one. He presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the decree. So they're kind of dedicating and purging the, the, uh, the holy place here, but it's a lot of it is using the element of fire. Then Aaron presented the grain offering, filling his hand with some of it and burning it up as smoke on the altar alongside the burnt offering of the morning. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then he stepped down from presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offerings. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came back out and blessed the people, what happened? The glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai. Let me read that again. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai and devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So we have the fire that Aaron is doing. He's burning things up, right? But then there is a holy fire from the Lord directly. A holy fire from heaven that comes to miraculously consume the offerings. So this is a holy and beautiful and powerful thing going on, showing the presence of God. And it shows the people are drawing near and God is drawing near to them. And the presence of God in the fire. Now, 
there's another fire story in the Parsha right after this that is more severe and a bit more mysterious. But let's stop for a moment and think. I want us to think about and process what are the biblical stories that involve fire? What are some things that you think of, some narratives that you think of? The pillar of fire that, that guided the Israelites, right? So that was kind of a guiding fire. That was a very helpful fire. What else? Elijah, Elijah on, on Mount Carmel, which is this exact same thing, right? But in the, in the, uh, uh, for the prophet Elijah. And so the same thing happened. The, the fire from heaven consumed the offering, and it wasn't anything that Elijah did. So it's like God showing up again in a very similar way. That's a good connection. Anything else you think of? <laughs> what? The burning bush. That's right. That's right. The burning bush, which is how God spoke to Moses, right, and, and revealed himself. All right. So we have Elijah on Mount Carmel, which is the narrative that we just read. We have the covenant between the parts for Abraham. There's fire involved there. There's the episode of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a more severe fire of judgment. There's the binding of Isaac. Actually, the word fire appears there because uh, Isaac asks a uh, Abraham, his father, where is the, the uh, I see the fire and the, uh, and the wood, but where is the offering? Um, so that's, it's mentioned there as well. And we talked about that last week, how that's a reference to the lamb. Uh, as we mentioned, the burning bush has fire, and that's how God is communicating with Moses. Um, there is, in the plague of hail, if you ever notice this, in, in the Exodus account, there's also fire that goes along with the hail during that plague in Exodus 9. Um, as we're instructed to eat the Passover lamb, to eat that sacrifice, the special one, as we're coming out of Egypt, um, we're supposed to roast it over what? We're supposed to roast it over fire. That's right. Uh, we mentioned the pillar of fire that's guiding God's people through the desert. Um, when the Lord shows up on Mount Sinai, there is fire, right? When he descends to give us his Torah. Uh, it was also used, fire was used to make, uh, unfortunately, the golden calf, right? Uh, Aaron threw it in the fire and out came this calf, supposedly, right? So there's uh, other ways that it can be used that are maybe uh, unauthorized. Um, there are all of the offerings in Leviticus that um, we, if, you, if you've been following along in uh, the Parshas um, the past couple of weeks, they're all, they all involve fire, in terms of how to do the offerings. And then we have here when the tabernacle is set up, that there's fire from heaven. We, we think of uh, Daniel's buddies, right? In the, uh, in the fiery furnace. Um, and in the new covenant readings, what are, the, what are the fire references that we think of? Well, one is that there's a reference to it when John the Immerser is introducing Yeshua and he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm baptizing you, I'm immersing you in water, but there's one to come after me who will baptize you in what? The Ruach and in fire, right? The spirit and in fire. So there's another kind of baptism, another kind of presence that's coming with Yeshua. 
And of course, we're looking forward to Pentecost, which is the outpouring of the Ruach, right? And again, we see tongues of fire in that episode. So that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're counting up to when, as we count the Omer. Does anyone know the, the Hebrew word for fire? Aish. Very good. Let's take a look at it. All right. Can you say that after me? Aish. Aish. Very good. You have an Aleph and you have a Shin there. Okay. So what do all these narratives have in common? It's the power of God, the awesomeness of God. Often on Shabbat, when we gather here, we think about God as our father, right? And he is, he is that. But also in balance, we have to understand that we need to have reverence for Hashem as king. It reminds me of a quote from the C.S. Lewis books describing the lion Aslan, who represents Yeshua. What do they say about him? He's not a tame lion, but he is good. Fire is not tame. Sometimes it brings judgment, but also it guides us in the wilderness, as in the pillar of fire. It marks the presence of Hashem in the burning bush, and the presence of God in the tabernacle that we just read, and the presence of God by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in the tongues of fire. The presence of God on Pentecost is what we are currently counting up to as we count the Omer, looking forward each of the 49 days to the tongues of fire and the outpouring of God's powerful presence. Um, and I need to look up the rest of my sermon. It didn't uh, all print out. <laughs> So what's the conclusion here? <laughs> Fire, yes, you got the general idea. That's funny. Fire also refines metals, right? It makes them pure. And this is an analogy to how Hashem refines us as pure gold in the prophetic books. Have you read this analogy, right? He refines us by fire. And sometimes this is, represents suffering or difficulty. And we are refined and purified by that, right? Just as the goldsmith can see the reflection of his face in the purified gold because the fire gets out all of those impurities. In fact, Aish, the word fire, is even part of one of the names of God revealed in Deuteronomy 4.24 and then quoted again in the book of Hebrews. This is what it says. If you can see if you can read this with me. Do we have it? No, that's Genesis 22. Okay, I'll read it to you then. Thank you for uh, uh, dealing with our technical difficulties. But God's word is going forth, amen? Oh, we got it? Okay, here we go. All right, if you can read this with me, uh, would you rather repeat it after me? Let's try that. Ki Adonai Elohecha Eish. What's Eish? That's fire. Eish Ochla. Hu el kana. And this is the context and then that verse. 
Watch yourselves so that you do not forget the covenant of Adonai your God, which he cut with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything that Adonai your God has forbidden you. And this is the verse we read in Hebrew. For Adonai your God is a what? Consuming fire, a jealous God or zealous God. It could be translated, right? He's zealous. He's like a fire. So now we have come to the severe, difficult part of the Parsha. But now also we have a balanced view of what fire means in the scriptures. The awesomeness and terrifying power of God's holy presence. Here is a short passage about the fate of Aaron's first two sons, Nadab and Abihu, from Leviticus 10, uh, 1 through 3. It's very short. Let's check it out. Now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own censer, put fire in it, laid incense over it, and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai. Some uh, translations say strange fire, which he had not commanded them. So fire came out from the presence of Adonai and consumed them. So they died before Adonai. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Adonai spoke of, saying, to those who are near me, I will show myself holy. Upon the faces of all the people, I will be glorified. Then Aaron kept silent. So what exactly is going on here? The rabbis have speculated as to what went wrong. But like the story of Cain and Abel, sometimes we have to try to fill in the gaps. We have to do a little bit of digging and research to figure out what is happening. The Torah is designed like this in some places to draw us in, right? It doesn't always explain the whys of things, and that gets us to ask questions and to dig deeper. And uh, as Jason Linus likes to say, it gets us to marinate, right, to really think about it. So what is this strange fire or unauthorized fire? Some rabbis think that they entered the sanctuary drunk, for this is given as a prohibition later in the Parsha, a few verses later. Some think that they did something that they weren't authorized to do uh, that was maybe above their status, perhaps something that only the high priest should do, right? Like entering into the holy of holies or something like that. In some way, they were making themselves the highest authority, right? They were showing disrespect for God. They were lifting themselves up. Uh, since this was just after the miraculous fire from heaven that we read about, um, perhaps they were trying to recreate this on their own, right? Through their own power or, or worse, through, through magic or something like that. These are all plausible. And I think there's a, a bit of these all in the narrative, but my strongest guess is that it has to do with foreign gods and idolatry. Using the same word for strange or unauthorized, here's a quote from Psalm 81. There shall be no strange God among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign God. In other words, this is like the golden calf all over again, right? This is two men acting foolishly, disrespectfully, elevating themselves and bringing in foreign worship of other gods into the holy place. Perhaps you feel like you're going through fire in this season of your life. Perhaps you can empathize with the guys that are fighting the fires in California. Remember, though, the fire of the Lord purifies and it guides it consumes that which is bad. There is an element of judgment there, but it also purifies that which is good. God's fire guides us like the burning bush 
for Moses or the pillar of fire for the Israelites. God is a consuming fire. And this represents his unpredictable awesomeness and strength and reminds us that he is not only our father and creator, but also he is our king and he is king over the whole earth. The fire of God is integral to the sacrifice system, to the near sacrifice of Isaac and to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. It's needed in those cases. May our awareness of the awesomeness of God's presence grow on this Shabbat, and especially as we prepare, as we look forward to Pentecost for his holy fire to come down. So let's keep counting the Omer. Let's keep pushing toward that moment of God's fire coming down when he gives us his Torah and he gives us his Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you that uh, you are holy and uh, you are a holy King. And we are reminded not only of your, um, your fatherhood toward us and your love for us, but also of your majesty and of your power. And uh, help us to not be foolish like Aaron's first sons, um, but to be, um, to be humble and to, uh, to worship you alone and to take out those things that are not pleasing to you. And uh, help us to allow you to purify us through the trials, through the fires that we go through, Lord, that we can come out um, and looking more like you, that we would reflect your face um, in our purified metal, in the gold that you are creating in our lives. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.